we have been looking at this series uh, called Upside Down. And if you're visiting us today or maybe you've missed some weeks and you're not quite sure what that's about, uh, we've been looking at the fact that the kingdom of God, this term that Jesus speaks about constantly in the Gospels, is radically different. The basis of it, the truths of it, um, the way that the kingdom operates, what is valued in the kingdom is completely different to what our society says is important. And so we've looked at some incredible things over the last few weeks. Last week, we looked at what Jesus says about uh, eternal life uh, and about wealth in the kingdom of God. We looked at um, a few weeks ago uh, the role of women in church leadership and church ministry. Uh, we've looked at forgiveness. We looked at the Beatitudes. We've looked at some really significant things. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't been here for those, you can catch them online, on, on podcasts, on all kinds of different platforms. And I encourage you to catch up on those messages. This morning, we're actually going to look at another radical truth of the kingdom. And we're going to look at the way that uh, children and the significance of children within the kingdom of God. Now, what I would say to you this morning, if, if you don't have kids or your kids are grown up and you're thinking, oh, this doesn't sound like it's going to be particularly relevant for me, I'd say to you this morning that it is. Just like a few weeks ago when we spoke on the role of women and the significant value that Jesus places on women and, and the role that women play in the early church in leading and guiding and teaching and all those kinds of things, if you're a man in that service, it was applicable for you. And just like this morning, we're going to look at the truth of what Jesus says about the significance and value of children in the kingdom of God. And we're so blessed at Horizon uh, to have so many kids as part of our community. I mean, we've said so many times that for years there were no children here. Uh, and then we had one child for a long time, and then they just appeared from everywhere. <laughs> We are so, so blessed with, with the, the kids that we have in the church. And I'd say a huge part of the blessing, and I'm talking about this as a parent now, a huge part of that blessing is the fact that my kids love church. And you might say, well, you're the pastor. Of course they love church. And I'd say to you that pastor's kids often don't love church. I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, I loved church growing up, and, and that's a testament to my, my parents and, and, and their uh, ministry. But a, few, a number of weeks ago, about three months ago, uh, we'd had COVID in the home and everyone was kind of just um, uh, getting better from that. And, and my kids got up and they got dressed for church and then I broke the news to them that they weren't coming that week and there were tears. And you know what? As hard as that was as a parent to see, I mean, we don't like to see our kids crying, but as hard as that was to see, it said to me that they love church. And do you know what, as a, as a four-year-old and a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, what they love about church is they love God. And, and, and I mean, I'm so encouraged by that, but they love you. Uh, a number of you would know that they love you. I mean, Grace loves you with hugs, doesn't she? Uh, and, and anyone who has kind of uh, shown any kindness towards her, you have got a friend for life. But the significance of church is that they love you. And we know that kids are distracting. I mean, my kids, let's not comment on their behavior this morning. That's okay. But we know that kids are distracting. They're messy. They spill things. I don't think my kids have drunk a cup of water in their life without knocking it over. Um, they talk at inappropriate times. Isaiah burps at really inappropriate times. Um, but as a community and as a, the, what, what the kingdom represents, we put that to the side because we love them. We love kids in the house of God. 
And we see throughout the Gospels that Jesus places this incredible value on children. And like I said, that is significant for all of you because for me, the th- like I said, the thing that my kids love about church is they love the people here. And there have been people here who for years and years have looked after them, have prayed for them, have smiled at them, who have welcomed them, who have listened to their stories, um, an extra blessing on you, um, who have who have protected them from harm when Cindy and I have been looking the other way. I often say that at church there's a lot of co-parenting that happens. Um, but I want to thank you because everyone who's part of this community is part of showing the love of God to them, is part of showing the love of God to them. And, and that's significant. But what I'd say is society doesn't necessarily agree with us here. When I was preparing this message a, a few months ago, actually around Anzac Day, a, a month or so ago, I was, uh, I was I clicked on this newspaper article, and you might have seen at the time, it was this rant that this person had online about the fact that uh, a parent should not have brought their kids to the Anzac service. Uh, this person was saying that they talked, that they were badly behaved. Really, this person was just saying that they were kids, but that there are certain places in our society, certain places in our community where kids are not really welcome. Just this last week, we've seen Princess Kate, you might have been following the Jubilee. What about the uproar about her child, uh, being a child, sitting through what was probably an incredibly tedious, um, if you love um, the Jubilee, um, apologies, but what was probably a very tedious and very long ceremony where the eyes of the world are watching them. um, And there was all this criticism of there must be something wrong with that kid. He must have some diagnosis or some issue or whatever. The diagnosis is that he's a child. And he was behaving like a child behaves. And yet our society is quick to criticize. You might have seen newspaper articles, they come up periodically about this restaurant or this cafe that bans children from being there. You might have read articles of parents who were going on planes who put together these packs to apologize that they would dare bring a child on a plane. The list goes on. And yet we see that Jesus speaks against this because the society... Uh, at the time, was no different to us. It was no different to us. And we see that in Matthew 19, and I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, turn there with me, that he, he speaks on this incredible, incredibly different reality, wedged between these two kind of really significant moments of teaching in Matthew 19. Three brief verses touch on the role of children in the kingdom of God. So Matthew 19, 13 to 15 says this, one day, Some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded them, the parents, for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. See, Matthew tells us this moment where Jesus is traveling and as was always the case, there were these large crowds around him. And in the midst of this crowd, um, obviously some parents have heard of Jesus, have heard his teaching, have seen the miraculous things that he is doing. And they push through this crowd in an attempt to get to Jesus so that Jesus might just bless or lay his hands on their children. And we read here the response of the disciples who, who really saw themselves as Jesus' self-appointed kind of bodyguards, that they were there to protect him, to keep the riffraff away. And, and they come in and they rebuke the parents. Leave him alone. This is a great teacher. You have no business interrupting this important ministry. And what does Jesus do? 
He's not, he doesn't scold the parents or the children. You see, all eyes are on Jesus. And what does he do? He scolds his disciples. He scolds his disciples. You see, the disciples were doing just what was kind of expected. And I don't think our society is all that much different. The disciples were trying to make sure that Jesus, who had this incredibly significant ministry in a very short period of time, they were making sure that this Messiah, this promised one that was going to set the Jews free, that he was not going to be interrupted by things that were not important or not significant, that really the only people who should be interrupting him were people of significance and power, and Jesus speaks against it. He turns to the parents and he turns to the children. He, puts, he hits pause on his traveling and he hits pause on his teaching. Whatever he was going to do, he just stops it. And he spends a moment there. I want you to picture it in the, in the dusty road surrounded by crowds. He hits pause and he blesses them. He embraces them. He welcomes them in and he prays for them. And it highlights, in amongst all the other things that highlights, it highlights the incredible accessibility of Jesus. You see, Jesus consistently made himself accessible. And in our society, what is it? The more important you become, the more significant you are, the more inaccessible you are. Famous politicians and sports people, celebrities, all those kinds of things, what have they got? They've got bodyguards to keep people away. It it worries me that sometimes you even see that in churches, that the more significant you are in church, the less you have to do with the people of the church. And that's, I mean, that's not our way here. Um, And it's certainly a a worrying thing. And and a biblical commentator, William Barclay, writes this. There is a strange difference between Jesus and many famous preachers or evangelists. It's often next to impossible to get into the presence of one of these famous ones, to have a kind of bodyguard that keep the public away, lest the great figure be wearied and bothered. But what does Jesus do? Not just with children, also with women, Also with those who are Samaritans, the disabled, the sick, anyone who was marginalized, Jesus has time for. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't turn them away. Instead, consistently, he shows them kindness. He shows them love. He shows them acceptance. He welcomes them in. And what an incredible model that is for all of us. Because it might not be children in your life, but for each of us probably have those people who who we kind of want to stick away from. And maybe it is the marginalized, or maybe it is the troubled. And yet Jesus models to us that regardless of how important you think you are, you should still be accessible. You should still be loving. You should still be kind. And he says this to the the parents and to the crowd. He says, for the kingdom of heaven, radical truth, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. What does he mean by that? Well, there's actually a, a passage not long before where Jesus has already told the disciples this. Not long before this, he's spoken to the disciples and he's told them in Matthew 18 the value of children in the kingdom. And it seems so quickly that they've, they've forgotten. And so if you turn there, just turn back a little bit. In Matthew 18 and, and verse 1, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds to them. He says, Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I bet the disciples collectively took a deep breath. Because they ask Jesus this question, they ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of, of God? And I wonder what they thought he was going to say. Because I wonder if they thought that he would pick an Old Testament figure. Maybe he would say Abraham. Maybe he would say Moses. Maybe he would say David. Maybe he would say one of the prophets who, who endured and, and spoke God's word. I wonder if they thought he would even say John the Baptist, who had come before Jesus preparing the way. I, I imagine that they never would have expected that when they ask Jesus this question, with this crowd surrounding him, that he plucks a toddler out of the crowd and he stands the toddler here. I mean, the toddler, I imagine, unless it was like one who liked being the center of attention, was probably thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done wrong? Um, but brings this toddler out and puts them in front of the crowd and, and, and speaks on the value of children. R.T. France Another biblical scholar says this, Jesus' answer is typically graphic and radical. It amounts to a total reversal of human value scales. A child was a person of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. You see, the disciples were trying to maybe secure their place. I think some of them perhaps were thinking, oh, I hope he says me. Who's the greatest? Well, it's got to be me because I'm the most loyal. I'm the most faithful. I'm, I'm the most on board with what Jesus is saying. I've given up the most. Maybe Jesus will say me. But Jesus says something radical. He kind of says to them, don't worry about importance. Unless you become like a child, you won't even be there. Don't worry about importance. Don't get caught up in, in, in that game. Unless you become like a child, there is no place for you. Wow, isn't that radical? The least of the least, the ones in Jewish society that would be pushed to the side, that weren't valued, Jesus puts front and center and he speaks of the simplicity of a child's approach. There are no hidden agendas. There's no inhibitions. There's no false motives, no self-consciousness. None of the things that as adults wrap us up and, and, and prevent us from pursue, pursuing Christ in, in humility being completely vulnerable, of knowing our complete reliance on God. You see, the thing I notice about my children is that so often they know they're completely reliant on us because they are. They are not at an age where we can kind of leave them at home to fend for themselves, their, their, their safety, their protection, their food, their clothes, um, getting to school, all of those things, they're completely reliant on us. But as we get older and we become more reliant on ourselves in the way that we live and, and in our day-to-day -day life, we so easily also make that a reality of our spiritual life where we start to rely entirely on ourselves. And Jesus challenges that. And he gives these two directions uh, at the end of that passage. You might have seen them there. Anyone who welcomes or shows kindness to a child, to one of the least in society, is showing the same kindness to Jesus himself. And he says, also watch out. If you were to treat one with contempt or cause them uh, the significantly valued member of God's kingdom to stumble or fall, there are severe consequences for that. It's kind of sobering isn't it? 
And Jesus is not purely using them as a metaphor. He's certainly encouraging us metaphorically to be like children, to take on those attributes, to, to have that humility and that tenderness. He's encouraging us to do that. But literally, he's also saying children are significant in the kingdom of God. Children are significant in the kingdom of God. I know um, sometimes, I mean, I get distracted by my own kids. And I do, I'll be completely honest with you. Sometimes I'm there in worship thinking, oh, I really want to worship today. I really want to not be distracted. I, w- I wish they would just behave and be quiet and, and allow me to worship. So I fall into that trap as well because they are noisy. They don't follow our social customs and our social norms. Plenty of you have seen them run up up the front while I'm preaching or a number of years ago, Isaiah just completely escaped from kids' church and joined me up the front. That was the only time it's happened. So if your kids are out there, don't panic. (laughs) But they don't follow the rules. And yet, Jesus says to us, value them, love them, care for them. Don't see them as a distraction. See them as an integral part of the kingdom of God. And what a challenge that is for us this morning. I'm going to wrap up, but as I wrap up, I want to challenge you with a couple of things. Jazz, would you come? Consistently research shows, and we've seen this time and time and time again, that two, uh, sorry, two-thirds of people who come to faith do so before the age of 18. So two-thirds of people who come to faith do so before the age of 18. And 50% of those identify a parent as being influential in them coming to faith. I mean, we know that. We model it for our kids. We talk to them about about God. We we pray with them. We love them. We we do all of that. Do you know that another 30% of of that community, they come to faith because of the influence or the significance of kids' ministry in their local church? 30%. That's amazing. That's an incredible number. We've got some kids' church leaders in here and a number out there. But what an incredible ministry that is. Knowing that the influence, the significance that you'll have on a young person's life might be what brings them to faith or helps them come to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also that keeps them there. Troublingly, and, and, and when I was looking at this, it really worried me that 70 to 80% of, of um, children who have come to faith, when they get to adulthood, they'll spend at least a year away from the church. 70 to 80%, depending on the statistics you look at. And we know that that's probably for a number of reasons. Some of them move states, they move homes, uh, they, they go and start their own kind of, stand on their own two feet. And It's really worrying because the things that have been planted, have, they've kind of moved away from them. And I know um, that, that concerns me. I pray for my kids every single night. It's been the one consistent thing I've prayed every night since they were born, that as they grow, that they would know and love Jesus all the days of their life. You know, I could pray for them to become um, wealthy professionals, which would be great, really, because then they can look after me. I could pray for all kinds of stuff. A Judah at the moment wants to be, he's told me, a a professional soccer man. Well, that's going to need a lot of prayer. Not that he's bad, it's just I'm not very good and he needed to get those genes from me. But, the, but I pray, I pray every, every single night for that. And I know a number of parents here pray the same kind of thing. But there's actually practical things I can do as well because I was seeing um, 
in the research, it said, well, why do the other 20 to 30% stay? What keeps them in church? What keeps them going on for God, really pursuing Christ? What keeps them in there? And there's a few things that have been highlighted. That firstly, regular discussions on faith and prayer in home. So if you're, you're speaking with your kids or your grandkids or your nephews and nieces, because for some of you, you might be the only spiritual influence on a nephew or niece or a next door neighbor or whatever it is. But it's discussion on faith and prayer in the home regularly. Do you know the second thing is regular connection with children's ministry. So actually being in church and having them in kids' church. The third thing, and this is a bit radical, it is serving together in ministry as a child. So having your children serve with you, I think sometimes as parents, we think, oh, look, I'll serve, but it's actually an interruption to our life. You know, I'm leaving the kids, or I'm bringing them to church early, or, or you know, they're going to get fed up with it, or it's really difficult in the morning. But to actually keep them in church and to, to have them really know the value of church community and ministry is to be having them serve alongside you. You know, my kids, they, they battle over coming early with me on a Sunday to set up. And they actually do stuff now, which is awesome. They, they help and they do stuff, but they actually love it. Because like I said at the start, they love the people. They love the other people who show up to set up and, and the way that they're cared for and loved. They love the fact that they can put out chairs that you're sitting on. They love the fact that when they look and they go, I did those stands today. There is a real significance in having your kids with you in ministry. Because if you don't show to them that this is valuable to you, how can you expect that when they get old, it'll be valuable to them? And lastly, having an opportunity to lead. There is a real value that when they reach those early teen years, that they actually get given opportunities to lead and to serve. And, and there's some exciting news coming there. I, I, can't, I can't let you know what it is, but um, we've got a really exciting program for those kids who are kind of uh, in the older ages of pri um, primary school and in those early teen years where we're going to look for and intentionally give them opportunities to serve and to lead in the church. And so I won't release that just now. As we close this morning, I want to challenge you with these things. Firstly, Jesus' teaching consistently pulls us away from a self-centered life. That's just a reality of the kingdom of God. Whether it's about kids or about anything else, Jesus' teaching consistently pulls us away from being centered on myself to being centered on other people. And in these passages we've looked at this morning, he calls us to deeply value children. And so I'd ask you to ask yourself whether or not you see yourself, regardless of whether you've got kids here or not, do you see yourself as having responsibility for there being kids in the house of God, for making sure that they're welcomed here, for making sure that they are protected, that they're loved, for making sure they see the richness of being connected in community? And secondly, I want to ask, do you see and do you look at their unbridled joy and enthusiasm for being in church, for, being, uh, for hearing the gospel in the midst of the mess that they cause, in the midst of the disruption, in the midst of everything that happens, do you consistently look at them and say, God, would you make me like that? Would you strip away my motives? Would you strip away my ambition? Would you strip away my pride? Would you give me the heart of a child who knows completely that they are reliant on you, that they can't do it on their own, that through any season in life that they are insufficient apart from you? Because that's how we should see these children. 
They're so valuable, but they also teach us about how we should pursue God. And what a radical, upside-down way of thinking that is, to rather than think they're a distraction, to actually say, God, would you make me more like that? If you want to run out the front one Sunday morning and grab onto my leg while I'm preaching, go for it. But we, 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 rather than seeing them as the way they disrupt and break the rules, actually saying, God, God, would you make me more like them? Would you make me exuberant in my praise? Would you make me exuberant in my worship? Would you make me exuberant in the way I love other people? Let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for the way that consistently your kingdom shatters our views on what's valuable that it shatters our views on on what we should prioritize on, on the truth and the reality of life. Jesus, that you come and you teach and you just ask us to consistently reorient, to reprioritize, to reshape what we value. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing of children in this church. Lord God, we thank you that they, they have got uh, such a, a love for you. Father, we just pray that this would continue to be a place that welcomes kids, that protects them, that keeps them safe, and that models to them the pursuit of you as they model to us the pursuit of you. Look, God, help us to, to see their exuberance and their love for one another and, and their love for you and, and help us to, to take that on, to stop worrying so much about how we might appear, to stop trying to fix things on our own but God, just to rely completely on you. Lord, that we would be a, a place where children serve alongside adults, that we would be a place where they are welcome, where they, um, the, the kids' church is the best place to serve and to lead because kids are coming to know you. And so Lord, we just lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.